Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would open with me now to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans, chapter 16, this morning, with a message entitled, Friends and Family. Romans 16, this morning, beginning in verse 1. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning. Lord, for those who have gathered here with us in this place and those who are gathered with us online and around the country, Lord, we are thankful that we live in a place where we're able to open your word and study it freely. Lord, many do not have this privilege today and our hearts go out to them and we intercede for our brothers and sisters today, Lord, who are underground, who are incarcerated, persecuted simply because they desire to study your word. Lord, may we never take for granted what we have before us today. Speak to us, Father, by your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've now arrived at the final chapter and the conclusion of the book of Romans. And what an amazing journey it has been. Found within this epistle, some of the deepest, most profound, life-changing doctrine in all of Scripture. The themes and theology are so foundational and fundamental that this book has been called the Constitution for the Christian. However, when you come to the personal epilogue of this epistle that began back in chapter 15 in verse 14, some have overlooked and even neglected the 16th chapter. And perhaps one of the reasons is that there isn't any specific doctrinal emphasis at the end of the letter, but instead there are several lists of names. For the most part, people we know nothing about. But if you were to skip this portion of the letter, you would miss out on some wonderful insights into the life of the Apostle Paul, as well as other Christians who either worked with Paul, were imprisoned with Paul, or were loved and appreciated by Paul. When reading through the book of Acts, there is this tendency when observing the ministry and the missionary journeys of Paul to assume that he was this incredible giant in the faith, the star franchise player of the early church and the superhero kind of saint who worked alone. And you can get the impression that it was Paul and Jesus standing against the world. And granted, there are recorded accounts in Scripture when Paul was alone with no one else around him to support him 
or to be there for him. He did have enemies that hated him, opposed him, imprisoned him, and attempted to undermine all the work that he had done. But at the same time, he had friends and loved ones that supported him in the ministry. In the final chapter, the Apostle Paul lists over 30 names. 24 of the names are mentioned of the people who were in Rome. 17 men, 7 women. Later on, he makes mention of nine other people who were with him at the time when he wrote this epistle, eight men and one woman. He also mentions two households, two unnamed women as well. And this is the astonishing thing about that. At this point, Paul had not yet visited the church in Rome. In other words, these people that he mentions were people that he had already met on his missionary journeys. Some of them, he led to Christ, and he still knew where they were and was concerned about them and thankful for them. Folks, one of the practical applications that will become clear from this text is this. We cannot stand all by ourselves in the Christian life. We have need of godly, healthy relationships within the congregation, relationships which are centered upon Jesus and our mutual love for him. The Bible presents a warning to the person who seeks to isolate themselves. It says in the scriptures that that person rages against all wisdom. If you show me a man or a woman who simply walks through these doors on Sunday and then walks out says very few words to some in passing, you may find that same person lacks accountability and a deep sense of fellowship that we all so desperately need. Now, I'm not saying you have to be everyone's best friend or be something that you're not, but I am saying that there is such tremendous value in having people in your life to pray for you, to hold you accountable. People that you can actually converse with and get beyond the surface, beyond weather and sports and politics and recipes and interior design and to the issues of the heart. Paul knew that he could not do the work of the ministry alone. And this epistle concludes with the mention of the names of those whom he loved and appreciated. And so he begins in verse one and two with greetings to Rome. It says here, I commend to you Phoebe, a sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencrea, that you receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. In the list of friends and fellow laborers in the gospel, Paul begins and devotes two verses to a woman whose name was Phoebe. He describes her as a servant, as a sister, and as a helper. The name Phoebe, incidentally, means bright and radiant. This woman was from the area of Sincrea, which was the port city just outside of Corinth from where Paul was writing this letter. Phoebe was given the sacred and trusted responsibility of carrying the epistle to the Romans. Imagine this, the future of Christian theology was placed in this woman's hands and she carried it across land and sea and delivered this message to the church. When Paul speaks of her, 
He refers to her as a sister. That means she's a believer in Christ. She's part of the family of God. He calls her a servant, which is where we get the word deacon in the scriptures. Many believe perhaps she was a deaconess. There were many women in the early church who ministered in practical areas of ministry that included visiting the sick, taking care of the poor, teaching younger women, delivering an important epistle. Phoebe was faithful in that she helped many within the church. And Paul adds, she helped me personally within the ministry. It's worth pointing out that Paul mentions more women in this epistle than any other literature of the day. And I point that out because there are some who have accused the Apostle Paul of being narrow and chauvinistic in his opinion of women. But on the contrary, Paul saw women in the church playing a vital role in helping to further the kingdom of God. Phoebe was a faithful servant. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a faithful servant? Have you taken steps to get involved where you can get involved? What is the extent of your commitment in serving the Lord? And I'm not just speaking of the church. I'm talking outside of the church. What about in your home where your Christianity is really tested and seen for what it is? Are you a servant? Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Jesus set the example of what it meant to be a servant. And it's not serving to fulfill a need in my life to be needed. It's serving for the sake of responding to what Jesus has done for me. One day we want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful. What? Servant. And that was Phoebe. But what about you? What about me? In the janitorial closet where I got my supplies daily for my jobs throughout the day, there was a placard on the wall that said, you will know you're a servant by the way you act when you're treated like one. I hated that plaque. You know, but it was there. It was always a reminder of what was really in my heart. Then Paul mentions a couple. He says in verse three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. If you want to talk about a power couple, these two right here, Priscilla and Aquila, humbly serve the Lord together, and they are mentioned six times in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, we learn of how Paul became acquainted with this couple. It was when the emperor Claudius had issued a decree banishing all Jews from Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were forced to leave their home and they ended up in Corinth. And while they were there, they started up a business of making tents. Paul met them there. He also being a tent maker, they began to work together and they planted a church in the area of Corinth. Now, when Paul left for Ephesus, they accompanied him. And later on in Acts chapter 18, it says that Aquila and Priscilla were in the synagogue. And while they were there, they heard a man named Apollos, who the Bible says was mighty in scripture, and he was eloquent, and he was debating with the religious leaders. 
And for the most part, he was holding his own, but he lacked knowledge. He only knew about the baptism of John. And so Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos to their home. And the Bible says they explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. They helped him to understand what he did not yet perceive. And because this couple invested and ministered in the life of one man, Apollos, he went on to have a powerful ministry in the church. The next time we hear of this couple, they are still in Ephesus where Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthians. And in chapter 16, he mentions their names again and how they had begun another church in their house. Later on, when the edict of Claudius was lifted, Aquila and Priscilla returned back to Rome and they started yet another church within their home. At the end of his life, Paul wrote to Timothy and he instructed him to be sure and greet this couple whom he loves so dearly. There are several characteristics that stand out within the life of this couple. First of all, they were courageous. Paul makes reference to a time when this couple... He said, they literally stuck out their necks for me. Now, when this happened, we're not certain. Some suggest that it was while they were in Ephesus, and you remember a riot broke out as a result of Paul's ministry, and perhaps somehow this couple helped Paul escape. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that Paul was forever grateful, and all of the churches were grateful because of their ministry. But also this couple although they lived a fairly nomadic life. They resided in Rome, they lived in Corinth, they were in Ephesus, and then they went back to Rome. One thing that you find about this couple is that they served the Lord and their home was a place of ministry. Is your home a place of ministry? I didn't say misery, I said ministry, where people come in and are ministered to and you invest in the lives of other people. That was this couple. And what a joy it is when you observe husband and wife serving Jesus together. I'm sure that you want your marriage to be blessed. One way that will add blessing to your marriage and enhance it greatly is serving Jesus together. You're, you're a team. Now, maybe some of you, you attend church here without your spouse. Maybe they're not a believer and you say, I, I would love to do that. Don't be discouraged. You serve the Lord here. You serve the Lord at home and pray for your spouse. But nonetheless, folks, when you have two people, husband, wife, both drawing near to the Lord, both serving the Lord together, it is a wonderful thing to behold. The Bible says two are better than one in this regard. And then in verse five, Paul says, greet Eponitus, who is the first fruits of Achaia in Christ. Paul refers to this man, Eponitus, and he calls him, an interesting word, the first fruits. First fruits is, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know that it's related to a Jewish term. And it refers to that which is set apart to God before the remainder could be used. Under the law, Israel was required to bring the first fruits of their grain harvest and present it to the Lord. And this was an act by where they acknowledged that all of the harvest was the Lord's and they gave a first portion back to him. Also, the first fruits of a harvest of grain was an indication that a greater harvest would come. 
Therefore, when Paul refers to Eponidas as the first fruit, he means this. He was the first person to get saved in his ministry there. And he never forgot about him. He said, make sure you greet him. As you know, if you were here last week, my wife and I were out of town. We had the privilege of going back to a church that we, by the grace of God, planted over 22 years ago. And I'll never forget the first convert in that church. He was my next door neighbor. And he and his wife, I remember we had an Easter Sunday in a little recreational center with maybe 25 people. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm evangelizing the story. It was not very many people. <laughs> 25 people. And I remember feeling so awkward, but my neighbors were there. And I thought, maybe I should give an invitation. Ah, oh, but man, it's just 25 people. This is so awkward. And I remember saying, listen, if you're here this morning and, and you'd like to receive Christ, just raise your hand up. And sure enough, both my neighbors, unbeknownst to them, husband and wife, they both raised their hand. They didn't know that each other raised their hand. They both got saved that day. First converts. And you know what? When I went back to see the church and dedicate the facility, I walked through the door and you know who the first person I saw was? The first convert of that church. Special place in my heart. And Paul says, Eponidas, greet him. He's the first fruits. I'm so thankful for him. Folks, listen, have you ever led someone to Christ? Have you ever had the privilege of praying with someone to receive Jesus? If you haven't, I encourage you, step out in faith. Well, what if they say no? So they say no. What if they say yes? You might be shocked. Would you like to pray to receive Christ? Yes, I would. Oh, um, let, are you sure? Because did I, you know, and then suddenly you pray. There's nothing like it. Don't be afraid to reach out in that way and ask someone. And here, Paul had led this man to the Lord and he never forgot him. And then in verse six, he greets an, another woman. He says, greet Mary, who labored much for us. When reading through the Bible, you find that there are many ladies with the name Mary. Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary of Magdala, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary, the mother of John Mark, and this unknown saint here, Mary. Paul says, greet her because she has, and the word used, labored much for us. The word labor means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion to physically be worn out, weary, or faint, to engage in hard work with the implication of difficulty and trouble. It is also used especially of labor <coughs> that is undergone by an athlete in training. In other words, Paul says, that little lady there, Mary, she gave maximum effort when it came to serving the Lord, 100%. It wasn't like, well, what's the least amount that I can do? Are there gonna be donuts if I do it? Is there gonna be creamer for the coffee? Because I don't know if I really wanna get, what's the, no, this lady was 100% maximum effort to the point of exhaustion, serving the Lord. It's actually the same word that is used in Luke chapter five when it says that the disciples toiled all night in fishing and caught nothing. Same word. 
I mean, just serving the Lord to the point of exhaustion. There have been moments in my life when I have been exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually, just poured out everything that I had to pour out. And at the end of it, I was so exhausted, but it was a good exhaustion. It was a blessing. It wasn't like I was weary of the work. I was weary in the midst of it, but it was a good kind of weary because the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good for you will reap if you do not lose heart. Friend, listen, if you're going to labor, labor. The Bible says the Lord went out into the harvest field. He said, pray for the Lord to send out laborers. And that implies what it says. Labor, serve the Lord, 100%, maximum effort. Do it for the kingdom of God. That's what this lady did. What a great example. And then Paul, it appears, may have greeted some family members. Look at verse seven. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, the word there also kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were also in Christ before me. The word for countrymen, also translated kinsmen, can refer to blood relatives, meaning these could have been some of Paul's relatives or they were just from the same tribe as Paul, from the tribe of Benjamin, or they were simply of Jewish descent, as was Paul. But what we know for sure is there was a close relationship with them like family, and Paul said they got saved before I did. And I find this interesting to think about because if Paul, as he indicates in Philippians, when he got saved, lost everything. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things, but he said, I count it as rubbish, garbage, that I might gain the righteousness of Christ. If Paul lost all of those things, disinherited by his family, his father turned his back on him because he was a Pharisee and his father was a Pharisee and and now he was just on his own. But yet he said, I've got some relatives. They got saved before me. Let me explain this to you. Have you ever, maybe this is the the context in your own family. Maybe you were the first one to get saved and no one else in your family was a Christian. My father was the first one to get saved in his family and he led his six siblings to Christ. Finished his job before he went home to be with the Lord. But Maybe you were the first one to get saved and you just feel, I'm so alone. I go home and nobody knows the Lord and we get, and then you went to a family reunion or a Christmas party or something where the family got together and you met uncle, what's his name? And he's a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We're the only two Christians in the family. And then you just had this fellowship together and it's something so sweet that you never even knew and you stay in, I mean that, Paul's saying these people got saved before me. And not only did they get saved before me, but they also suffered alongside of me. They were in prison with me. Paul not only had this close family relationship with these people because they had the same faith in Christ, but also a deep relationship because they had suffered for the cause of Christ. There's something about relationships. When you suffer alongside of somebody, when you go through the valley together, there's something that binds you together in a way that is very unique when you suffer alongside of somebody. Paul said, I'm so thankful for my kinsmen who are believers like me and they suffered alongside of me. He was grateful for them. 
And then in verse 8, he says, Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Great names, all of them. I want you to see that in the greeting of some of Paul's colleagues and friends in ministry, he refers to them as beloved. It's a term of endearment. It means you're deeply devoted and concerned about the other individual. Paul genuinely loved these people. Folks, listen, without love, the Bible says we are nothing. Nothing. Jesus told us, exhorted his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. We're exhorted to walk in love. Jesus said the world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Do you love people? Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also went on to say, don't just love those that love you. That's easy. The tax collectors can do that. Love the people that don't love you. In fact, Jesus took it a step further and he said, love your enemies. Do you love? Do people know that you love them? These people that you work with, that you wouldn't have chosen to work alongside of, do you love them with the love of Christ? Paul looks at these people and he says to them, I love you. He's concerned about them. He's thankful for them. He loves them. And then he says in verse 10, and I want you to see this. You could easily pass over it. He says, greet Apelles approved in Christ. The word approved carries the idea of being tried, of being tested, and it was used of precious metals like gold and silver that passed through the tests of purity in the refining process. In some way, Paul doesn't say how, this guy Apelles was tested and he passed the test. He was refined in such a way in his faith that he earned the approval of many somewhere in his Christian service. He had been tested. And this word, by the way, is used in other places in scripture. For example, James chapter one, James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been proved, that is approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to those who love him. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved. Prove it. A worker, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Peter, writing to the church that was suffering great persecution in his first epistle, he said to the church, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A group of people that were being tested, refined in the fire of trial in order that they might be approved. Any service that you attempt for the Lord, you will always be tested. You will always be tried. You will always be refined. You remember Job says in his book that 
at, when he was being tested that the Lord had, would test him and that he would come forth as gold. Maybe that describes your situation today. Perhaps you're being refined. And what happens when you're being refined? I'll tell you what happens. I've experienced it repeatedly in my life. All of the impurities in your heart rise to the surface as the heat is turned. This is turning up the heat. Turning up the heat. Suddenly all these things that you didn't think were there, are, they're very, they're there. Such as selfishness. I didn't think I was that selfish. I thought I was pretty giving. Actually, you're not. And here's, let me show you this. And then, um, you know, you thought you were patient. I thought I was pretty patient. Mm. I thought I was more passionate about the things of God than I am. Whatever it is, God just brings it to the surface. Now listen, he doesn't bring it to the surface in this, in this testing period in order to condemn us. Guys, he does it to refine us, to, to make us more like Jesus. And he's got his hand on the timer. He's got his eye. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, got his, he's got, actually got his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the timer. Don't mess up the illustration. He, he knows what he's doing. This is the heat. This is the eye. You understand. He knows what he's doing. You may be in that spot today. You say, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what James said, count it all joy. <gasps> when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces character and character hope and so on and so forth. These things are very, and perseverance, these things are high on the priority list of God, character and perseverance and hope. And how does that come about? Through the refining process. Don't think it's strange concerning these things. If you're being refined, there is a purpose in it. And then he says in verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored in the Lord. Aren't those great names? Tryphena. <laughs> I love it. I love this name. By the way, these are female names. Many believe that these two girls were twins. And I think when Paul mentions Tryphena and Tryphosa who labored much in the Lord, I think there was a smile on his face. You say, why? Just because it's fun to say their names? No, no, that's not why. Because of what their names mean. Their names mean dainty and delicate. I didn't expect that reaction, but that's, the ladies are like, oh, that's so sweet. Dainty and delicate, labored like they were strong and sturdy. I mean, Paul said, these girls, dainty and delicate, they went for it. I mean, these girls, man, I'm so thankful. Make sure you greet them. They labored, same word, in the Lord, to the point of exhaustion. I'm so thankful for the women in this fellowship that labor in that way, and there are many of them. And then he says in verse 12, greet Persis, the beloved Persis, who labored, there it is again, much in the Lord. Persis is a female name. And he calls her, the beloved. And this is significant because when Paul was speaking of the men in verses eight and nine, he refers to them as my beloved. He uses the personal, my beloved. But he refers to a female in the congregation. He says, the beloved, Persis. This lays down, I believe, an instructive principle for us, I would say in life and especially in ministry, that we need to be careful how it is that we relate to our brothers in the faith versus how we relate to our sisters in the faith. And there is a difference, or there should be. There is never an appearance of evil or 
a innuendo or meaning something or giving the impression that we mean something that is off color or insensitive or not godly. And that's the way Paul, he didn't want to give the wrong impression. So he said, hey, greet the beloved Persis. You remember when Paul wrote to Timothy and he was instructing Timothy how to relate to each group of believers that were found in the body of Christ. He said, the older men, treat them like fathers, Timothy. To the older women, treat them like mothers. Have respect for them. For for the younger men as brothers and to the sisters, to the younger women in the congregation, he said, treat them with the same kind of respect. But he added, with all purity. It's a good exhortation for Timothy. A good exhortation for us. How do we relate to one another? You know, this week on Friday, we have a women's Bible study that meets here every Friday that my wife teaches. And on this particular Friday, which was just the other day, someone was here visiting from out of state. And they came in and told one of the leaders in the ministry, hey, one of your security guards out there called me, hey, you. And she didn't appreciate it. And I understand. I, and so I found out about it, and I started to go around and try to find who's, who's the person calling people, hey, you. I mean, what? we don't do that. There was only two security guards, and so, and neither one of them had done it. So we searched a little bit deeper. We found out it wasn't our guys. It was the guy who was the parking attendant at the school over there. <laughs> Not us. He said, hey, you. It wasn't us. It was them. But the point is, we want to be careful how we relate to one another. There is a respect. There is a sensitivity. There is a way of being above reproach in how we address one another in the ministry. And I love that Paul did just that. And then verse 13. Let me just tell you, this is one of my favorite verses in this whole thing right here. You ready for this? And You'll see. Verse 13. Greet Rufus. I mean, that right there just blesses me. I just... Love to say it. How many of you have ever gone to a Bible study where they just went through names? Don't raise your hand. Probably none of you. Greet Rufus. Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. It's clear that Paul felt a deep sense of gratitude for this man, Rufus, and his mother, who Paul said, she was like a mother to me. But who was Rufus? Listen carefully. The gospel according to Mark was written with the Romans in mind, giving us Peter's account of the life of Jesus. 16 chapters to the point. I mean, just get to the point. The words immediately are used over and over again in that gospel. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, look at what it says. Mark writes... Now they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Now listen closely. We know that Mark's gospel was written in Rome after Paul wrote the book of Romans. And that Mark would have no reason to include the names of Alexander and Rufus in his gospel account written to the Romans unless 
They were known to the church. Many Bible scholars agree that the Rufus that's mentioned here by Paul was one of the sons of Simon who was brought to saving faith in Jesus as a result of helping him carry his cross. I want you to think about that for a moment. Simon from Cyrenian. He's on his way up to Jerusalem like everybody else at the Passover for one purpose, to offer a sacrificial lamb for the atonement of his sins and for the sins of his family. And while he's making his way up to Jerusalem, there is this crowd of people screaming, Roman soldiers parading through the street, women weeping, a man covered in blood, back ripped open carrying a cross through the streets and he sees it happening and suddenly a spear touches him and compels him. A Roman centurion says, carry this man's cross. And to disobey that command was to endanger your own life and he had no choice but to carry the cross of Christ. Imagine Simon carrying the cross with Jesus all the way out to the outside of the city to Golgotha, the place of the skull, also called Calvary. And if he stayed there, he would have seen Jesus nailed to the cross. He would have seen Jesus hoisted up on the cross. He would have heard the seven I am statements from Jesus one of which was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. One of which was, today you will be with me in paradise. One of which was, I thirst. And one of which was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of which was, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he would have seen the, felt the earthquake and the darkness cover the land. Something happened to Simon in that moment. He realized the Lamb of God is gonna take away my sins that no lamb that I brought could ever accomplish. And somewhere he goes home and he shares with his wife and his sons, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And although Paul does not mention Simon here, it's probably because at this point he had passed away. But Paul had come into a relationship with this family of Rufus and his mother, and he greets them. God has ways of getting people's attention, folks, and bringing them to faith in Christ. They could just be going about their day, going on their way to the office, and God can stop people like he did Simon right in their tracks, bring them face to face with who Jesus is and change their life forever. Paul then greets other people in verse 14. He says, greet Asyncritus, Felgon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. I mean, these are all Greek names. These are people, Hermes. I mean, these are people who were in pagan, idolatrous Grecian culture, worshiping idols, perhaps worshiping the goddess Diana there on the mountaintop with temple prostitutes who were converted, who got saved. And then Paul adds in verse 15, I love this name, greet Philologus. What a great name. What is your name? Philologus? What does that mean? You know what it means? It means lover of the word. 
Are you a lover of the word this morning? Are you a lover of this world? (laughs) Listen, do you remember the words of Jesus? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you realize that everything else is gonna pass away, but the Lord said, my words will never pass away. My words will endure forever. The psalmist said concerning the word of the Lord that he holds his word above his very name. Are you a lover of the word? I personally believe that people who come to this church, you come to this church because you love the word. You love to hear the word of God. You love to hear the word of God taught. And you guys are so gracious and so um, generous with your encouragement to us. And there's not a week that goes by where someone in this fellowship doesn't say in some form or other, thank you for teaching the word. Now listen, I'm not saying that so that you can, you know, Pastor John, I just want, I'm just saying if it's natural, it's natural, don't have to hype it up. But I appreciate that because I love to be among people who have a love for the word. And this is what we do. This is, this is, and you know, the Lord is ministering to me this week because as a pastor, you know, there are so many different types of churches, so many different models of churches that are out there. And hey, praise the Lord. They're part of the body of Christ. And if we're, you know, have the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, we're, they're family. But I realize there's something that we do here. We teach the Bible. And I've talked to other people and they tell me about this and this is what that. And I think, boy, I wonder if I could, no, I couldn't do that. It's like, can I give you an illustration? And it's a poor one, but it's the best I could come up with. It's like if In-N-Out decided to start selling tacos. <laughs> they come up with their own salsa. They do this whole thing. You get the crispy shell, the hard shell, quesadillas. It's like, no, <laughs> don't ruin that. There is something so amazing that brings the masses. They love it. (laughs) And for me, again, poor illustration. But there's, I go, what else am I going to do? There's nothing else to do. I'm Philologus. I love the word and so do you. And so that's what we're going to keep doing. So. (laughs) As long as you keep driving through, we'll just, we'll be sure that we (laughs) Paul concludes, he says, greet Philologus and Julia and Nerys and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Saints is just another word for Christian, friend. You might not know this, but you are a saint. (laughs) Is that awesome? You're a saint. You're either a saint or you ain't. You're a Christian or you aren't. What a great thing, St. John. As you go on, it says, greet one another with, and please notice the emphasis here, holy kiss to the churches of Christ. The churches of Christ greet you. This, this holy kiss, this was something that was um, cultural. It was something that was in the early church. It was something holy. It was something godly. It was a term of endearment. Perhaps what we do today, we give each other a hug or a high five, or it's just that greet one another with a holy high five, a holy hug. I mean, it's just something that was, was a blessing and, and it revealed a, a mutual love and appreciation for one another. I remember going to another culture where they greet one another with a kiss. It surprised me. I mean, the first time I went into the culture, I was like, whoa, man, I wasn't even ready for it. You know, I just <laughs> surprised me. It's like, wow. Thank you. You know, I was like, 
And uh, anyways, that's, this is what they're to do. And then he says, the churches of Christ, they greet you. Folks, listen, the church in Rome was not the only church in town or the world. There were churches, plural, that were part of the body of Christ, part of the family of God. And Paul says, those churches, they greet your church. This church right here is a church, a church, part of the bigger group of churches around this community, around the world. And by the way, can I say this to you? The church that's currently in heaven, we're, we, we have the largest church in the world. We're a part of it, the family of God. And what a blessing to be a part of this family. Finally, let me conclude that as Paul is writing about the diversity and the beauty of the body of Christ, here at Calvary Chapel, it's our desire to cultivate a similar environment that honors and glorifies the Lord. How, how do we do that? Just a few practical things. Number one, accept one another. Accept one another. We have a broad range of opinions, of values, of interests, of gifts, and abilities represented here in this place. There are varying stages of spiritual growth, development, and growing at different rates. From new believers to seasoned saints, we have different age groups from millennials, Gen Z, X, boomers, and whatever other label they want to place on us. Although we are different from one another, we recognize that we're part of the same family and therefore there is a mutual acceptance of one another. Listen, Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse seven, therefore receive one another, accept one another, just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Accept one another. Second thing, serve one another. Serve one another. Look for ways to serve others and meet urgent needs. Paul exhorted Titus to encourage the church, have the people meet urgent needs. Make sure they maintain good works. Tell them to serve. Most people prefer to find only the best fit for their gifts or the precise place to exercise their gifts without regard for the most pressing needs. But servants of the Lord are not picky or particular. They're just available and open to serve where the need is. Galatians 5.13 exhorts us, through love, serve one another. Accept, serve, and then third, value one another. Every single person has value. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish. Valuing one another in Philippians 2, Paul said this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, the word is value others better than yourself. That I esteem you, that I prefer you, that I value you. Created in the image of God, part of the family of God, there is this value that I've placed upon you. And then finally, demonstrate love toward one another. In 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter says this, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Folks, if, if we will do this here at the church, if we will accept one another, if we will seek to serve one another, if we value one another and we love one another, this would be a blessing to be a part of this congregation. 
And so may God help us to do that. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the insights that we were able to glean and the lessons that we were able to learn today from your word. And Lord, I ask that you would now enable us to be doers of this word and not hearers only. Lord, that the Spirit of God would remind us of the word of God this week. And we would walk in love for one another and for those that are lost without you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the family and the friends we have in Christ and the benefit and the blessing that they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you're standing, I got an assignment for you. It's homework. Um, You'll be graded (laughs) by Jesus. (laughs) But here's what I want you to do. We just read, Paul mentions all of these names of people that he loved and appreciated that made a difference in his life and he took the time to write down their names specifically and send them this message. Here's your assignment. Do you have people in your life who have been a blessing to you? Who've encouraged you, who've invested in you that you're thankful for? What I want you to do, I want you to say, you can take more than this, but I'm gonna say take five people that you know right now. They may be sitting next to you, but Nonetheless, at least one of them maybe. But listen, I want you to send them a text and I want you to tell them, hey, listen, I want you to know something. We learned, we had a Bible study today. It was, it was okay. I mean, it was all right. It was a bunch of names. I've heard better, but there was something about the application that was really good. And that was, I want you to know something. I'm thankful for you. I appreciate you. And, and I just wanted to, I just want to tell you that today. It's been a while since I've said that, and I just, I just want you to know that. We could take people for granted so easily. Tell them that. And why is it that you're thankful for them? I guarantee it'll bless them the same way it would bless you. And emojis are optional. But you, I'm just saying you can do that, and they'll be encouraged. If you need prayer today after the service, please don't hesitate to come forward. We'll be up front. Love to pray for you for whatever needs that you might have. If not... May the Lord bless you, give you a beautiful week in the Lord. We hope to see you Wednesday night for this insightful and eye-opening interview on how we can minister to those who are ensnared and in bondage in the LGBTQ community. God bless you guys. We love you all.